Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont Campus in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian and I pastor that campus and it's good to talk to you again. This week we start a new three-week series we're calling Relationship. We're talking about our most important relationships and how God uses them to shape us and how God wants us to shape our relationships. We start this week by talking about the relationship between the generations. Those of us who have influence in a child's life have goals for that child. And we also have methods that we use that we think will help them reach those goals. The question we must ask ourselves is do we have the right goal? And then do we have the right method? In this sermon, we look at Psalm 78 and learn what the goal of parenting should be and what method is best to accomplish that goal. I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe God has something He would like to say to you. We are coming into a three-week series that we are calling Relationship, and in this series, we are talking about uh, we're talking about the most important relationships in our life, and how God wants us to shape those relationships, and also how those relationships shape us. And so today we're going to be talking about the relationship between the generations. Next week we're going to talk about a relationship within husband and wife. And then the third week we're going to talk about the other relationships that we have, friends, co-workers, neighbors, and those sorts of things, and how God wants us to shape those relationships and how those relationships shape us. Now I know what the temptation is. The temptation is to hear me say that I'm talking about the relationship of the generations today, and for you to say back to me, Pastor, I don't have kids, my kids are in their 30s, I don't ever want kids, I don't think I'll ever have kids, and then you're going to say, so I'm just going to tune you out for the next 25 minutes or so. Well, my first question is, how is that different than any other week? My second question <laughs> is, is, uh, is, is, I want you to, or my second thought is, I want us to know that there's something here in this psalm for all of us. If you have any interaction with children, meaning you niece or nephew or you have grandchildren or you volunteer in our kids' ministry or you are a part of this church which has children in it, then there is a message here for all of us. And so some of what we'll be talking about this morning is specific parent to child, but there are quite a few things we're going to talk about this morning that apply to all of us, no matter what our situation is. So stick with us and see what God has to say to you. On Friday... I had the opportunity, uh, along with my wife, Lori, uh, to go and do one of our, our favorite things to do in the life of the church. And early Thursday morning at 1.05 in the morning, uh, Leo James Craig was brought into the world. Uh, so many of you know Jimmy uh, Craig. He's often here on Sundays. He's sometimes up in the balcony. He runs one of our computers, the computer that streams the service. So you may not see him all the time. Uh, But he and his wife, Jenna, had their second child. They have a daughter, Lily, and then Leo was born on Thursday. And so on Friday afternoon, Lori and I went to the hospital, and we saw Leo and prayed with them, and it's a great thing. But now Jimmy and Jenna, they have a choice to make, and that is they need to choose what they think the goal is of good parenting, and then they need to figure out what method they're going to use in order to reach that goal. It's really what all of us have to do when we're around children and we're trying to influence them in some way. We have to ask ourselves, okay, what's the goal for this child? What would a good goal for this child be as he or she grows up and matures? And then secondly, so then what method is best to help that child grow? 
And if you pay attention to uh, the world around us, if you pay attention to the internet blogs or anything like that, then you know that parenting style is a huge conversation right now. It's a big conversation. And there's all of these uh, illustrations used to describe different types of parents. And I put together a little quiz for you just to see how knowledgeable you are on this. And so it's a little matching quiz. Now, listen, I'm going to ask you to take this quiz. You can talk to someone around you if you want, but please, please, no wagering. All right? I don't want this to get out of hand. So here's your quiz. Here's your parenting quiz. On the left-hand side are five different phrases, illustrations that are used for certain parents. And on the right-hand side are the five different uh, sort of things that those illustrations match up with. So I'll give you a moment to take a look. You draw your lines mentally there. Maybe you want to write it down on a piece of paper. You will hand this in. It will be reflected on your final grade. All right. So let's go through them. Do you know what they are? How about this one? How about the elephant parent? Does anyone know what word goes with the elephant parent that you just saw there? What's that? Nurturing, that's right. The elephant parent is the parent that, especially in the younger years, is always with the child, nurturing the child, letting the child know that it is loved and cared for. Uh, apparently, that's how the elephant uh, works in nature. Sure. So then there's the tiger parent. What's the tiger parent? What's the word? Strict, right? The tiger parent is strict, especially when it comes to academics. The tiger parent puts down the rules. The kids follow the rules, uh, and that's the tiger parent. We feel like it's, some, it's good for our chickens and eggs. Some parents feel like it's good for their children, and that's the free-range parenting, right? So what's the, what's the free-range parenting? This one, this is like a, a gimme. Do you remember the, the phrase I had up there was no rules, right? You know the free-range parent. The free-range parent usually has their kid out in front of them, and they're just taking their time, letting the kid decide what the child wants to do, uh, what they feel like doing that day, what they want to buy, what they don't want to buy. You know, the kid gets to make the decisions. There's also the lawnmower parent. This one I've just heard of. This one just came out. The, the earliest I could find was an article in September started on Psychology Today, started talking about the lawnmower parents. This is the new version of parenting. And the lawnmower parent is the one that goes out in front of their child and mows down everything in the path. They're out in front and they cut it all down. They make sure all the problems are gone. The holes are filled in. The bushes are cleared. The grass is mowed. So the child has a very nice, clean path to walk on, right? I'm not, I'm not asking you to point at people in the room, okay, and shake your head. I just think about it. And the last one, and maybe you're familiar with this one. In fact, if, if, if you are under 32 in the room, this might be your experience growing up, and that is the helicopter parent, where the parent is always there hovering over you, and you get rejected from college, a college, and so that parent drives to that college and tells that admissions counselor what they think of them, right? Because they're always in your business and always taking care of everything for you. That's the helicopter parent. Now, here's what I think. I think that by and large, most of us, when we look at bringing up a generation, have a similar goal in mind, but we choose different methods. We do different things. We say, okay, I'm more of a nurturer. I'm pretty strict. I'm more, I like to be a helicopter and float over everything. I like to make the path easy for my child. We, we choose different methods, but I think by and large, the goal in our culture is very similar. And that is to try and create children who, by and large, as they get older, are both happy and healthy. That's really what we want. We, want, we think our kids deserve to be well-rounded 
and happy and healthy. And so we choose a parenting style, whatever that is, and we may disagree on which one that is, but we choose a parenting style because that's what we want for our kids. We just want them to be happy and we just want them to be healthy. The thing I think we ought to challenge ourselves on and think about, and the thing that this passage of scripture that we're just about to read is going to challenge us on, is whether or not we have the right goal. As a culture and a society, are we shooting shooting for the right thing? Are we aiming in the right direction? Is the highest thing we could end up with is a generation of happy and healthy children, which I think, you know, I hope you agree with me. I think by and large, that's what people want. Our friends that we know, they just want their kids to be happy and healthy. We're trying to clear the way. We're trying to make things smooth and easy so that our kids grow up and they're relatively happy, relatively healthy physically and mentally. That's what we want. We ought to stop and ask ourselves sometimes, do we really have the right goal in mind? And this passage of scripture we're about to read is going to challenge that a little bit. And then if we find out that our goal really isn't what we think it is or what it should be, then we have to go back and look at our method too, don't we? And so I want us to consider this passage of scripture this morning, Psalm 78. We're going to go verses 1 through 11, but I'm going to stop at verse 8 right now. And I want us to think about this, whether you have children of your own whether you have nieces and nephews, grandkids, or you just know children in the neighborhood, to think about what is the goal as these kids get older? What are we aiming for here? And what methods should we use to hit our goal? Here's what the psalmist wrote in chapter 78, verse 1. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. For many of us, we would say the goal in our culture, or maybe the goal in our family is to end up with happy and healthy children, that that's really what we want. And there's a number of different components then that go into Uh, having a happy, healthy child. And so maybe we do what we can to make sure our kids succeed academically. That's one piece of the puzzle we put in there. And then we do some things to make sure that our kids are healthy emotionally, that we give them all the support they need so that they feel confident about themselves and they can make good decisions. And then we try to shield them from the bad things in this world. And that's another piece of what we do. We try to help them uh, in their giftings. Maybe they're gifted uh, in, in academically. Maybe they're gifted in thinking about the way systems work. Maybe they're gifted in athletics. And so we try to help them in any way that we can to, to exceed and excel in the places where they are gifted. And if we think, if we think that spirituality or religion will be helpful in making a happy, healthy kid, we will somewhere in the framework piece that in there. 
so that we go to school, definitely, we do our athletic stuff for sure, and then every once in a while we throw in some religion just so our kid is well-rounded and happy and healthy and whole. That is, for many of us, the framework that we take. The psalmist here gives us a very different framework. He says this. He says the goal of parenting The entire goal of parenting, the entire goal of raising up a generation is to raise up a generation that puts their hope in God. That's the only goal, is to raise up a generation that puts their hope in God. That's the goal. And he says it very clearly in verse 7. He said, so that, we do all these things so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. The author of the psalm says, uh, more than anything else, over and above anything else, We need to raise up a generation that puts their hope in God. Now, why would he say that? Now, I don't think he's saying that because the other stuff is unimportant. I don't think that what we're hearing here is is focus on God and don't focus on school. Focus on God and don't focus on being successful. Focus on God and don't focus on being emotionally healthy. I don't think that's what it's saying at all. But I do think that the writer of the psalm is challenging us that if we think the greatest goal we could come up with is for our kids to be well-rounded and happy and healthy, that that goal is going to disappoint us for two reasons, at least two reasons. The two reasons I can think of why that goal is ultimately going to disappoint us is because, quite frankly, it's impossible. It's impossible. Did anyone grow up in a family with no dysfunction, show of hands? Zero dysfunction, no dysfunction in your family? All right, it's not just me. All right, good. All of us have some sort of dysfunction in our family. Do you know why that is? We're sinners with weaknesses, and we're self-conscious about certain things, and deficit because we were raised by other sinners. And all of us have some sort of dysfunction in our upbringing. The idea that we can somehow rid this entire world and all of our families of, any, of all forms of dysfunction quite frankly, at the end of the day, it's, it's impossible. And now we're under the illusion, we're under the illusion that this is happening in families that are not our own in today's world. The other day I was at CVS and I did something that I haven't done in, I don't remember when, I bought a magazine. When's the last time you bought a magazine? And so, uh, but I saw right there on the rack, there was Time Magazine Special Edition, The Science of Families. Now I had, of course, written this sermon months ago, but I thought I could still use maybe some finishing material. So I picked that thing up and I started to read through the articles. And in one of the articles, it was talking about the challenge of being a parent in today's world. And multiple psychologists and family therapists said the biggest challenge in today's world is that it used to be that parents had about three minutes to brag about their kids. So you would pass someone in the store and you would see someone you haven't seen in a while or you would see them at the water cooler and they would say, how are the kids doing? And, and the parent would say, oh, they're doing great. In fact, and then what would they do? They'd pull out their wallet, right? Or they'd pull out their purse and then they'd open to the middle. Do you remember this? And what was in the middle? Those plastic sleeves right, with the pictures, and they would flip through the pictures, and they would say, oh, look at Johnny, he's getting so big, you know, this was a couple of months ago, but he's getting bigger, and he's playing hockey, and he's doing awesome, and they would brag for about three minutes, and then they they would go on their way. Well, now, if you want to brag about your child, you can do that all day, any day, 
And then it stays up there for everyone to look at. And you don't just get one shot at a school picture and hope the school picture is decent enough to last for the entire year. You can line up your kids and take 10,000 pictures until you get the one picture that makes your family look absolutely perfect. And then you put that up on the screen and it's your family sitting around with pancakes before you go to church and you say a wonderful morning, a wonderful Sunday morning for the Johnsons. The reality is, is everyone was fighting while the pancakes were being made. And by the end of it, your kids were covered in syrup because they were throwing it at each other. But as far as the rest of the world knows, this is what life looks like in your house. Everyone sits around the table beautifully. The pancakes have powdered sugar on top of them, just perfect. Everything's arranged perfectly and everybody gets along because they're all smiling in the picture. Nobody puts the video of the giant fight that the parents got in the night before up on Facebook. No one puts that on Facebook. We only put the picture that makes us look our absolute best. And the challenge for us today is we say, no, it is possible to have whole, perfect, healthy families. The families can be absolutely perfect. Look at all of the pictures that I see out there of all these perfect families. Look, there they are in the Bahamas looking perfect. There they are apple picking looking perfect. There they are doing all of these sorts of things perfect. And look at the mess we have in our house. The reality is that everything that's put online, you know this, but we have to be reminded of it. It's a marketing billboard. We market ourselves to the world, and we put out there the image that we want people to see of us. We do not put a window into our lives online. You're not gaining a window into the real life of people. You're just seeing a billboard of what they want you to see and think. And this idea that we can, in our own strength and in our own power, create perfect kids and shield them from everything that might happen in this world, it's just frankly impossible. The other thing that it is, is it's short-sighted. It's short-sighted. Because what we're doing is we're telling our kids, everything that you need and everything that you hope for can be found in the world around you. Even though billions of people have lived on this earth and not one person has found everything they possibly need on this earth, we still say to our children, if you will be successful, if you'll be smart, if you'll look a certain way and treat people a certain way, you'll find everything that you need here in this place. And it's short-sighted because we're telling them to find, we're telling the next generation to find everything they need in what is temporary and not in what is eternal. And so the author of the psalm reminds us, listen, above everything else, above everything else, the goal of this whole thing is that we would have a generation that would put their hope in God. Now, if that's the goal, then we have to back up and ask ourselves the question, well, what then is the method? If that's the goal, then what is the method? And the author, I think, gives us, a, gives us that answer as well in the verses before verse 7, starting in verse 3. He says this. Things that we have heard and known that our fathers told us, we will not hide them from their children, but to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them and the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. This is what the author says. The method we're to use is we are to be storytellers. We are to be storytellers. God has done amazing things in the world. God has done amazing things throughout history, and he has said certain things that we are to do. And the psalmist says our job, our job is to take those stories and to tell them 
to the next generation. Now, if we are going to take the stories of who God is and what he has done and tell them to the next generation, it requires then two things. First, it requires that we know the stories. It requires that we know the stories. Think with me. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Just think in your head. Some of us have sat in church for a long time. Who's Abraham? What did he do? You're thinking in your head, you're like, I know that's an important one. I know that's an important one. And if you grew up in church, you're thinking, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had father. You're like, I don't know. It's not helping. (laughs) Who's Abraham? What did he do? Who's Moses? What did he do? He took the Jews out of Israel. What else did he do? That's true. Who's Noah? What did he do? Well, he built an ark. What happened after the ark? Do you know that story? You should learn that story. What did Jesus do when he was on this earth? What did he say? Do we really know all of these stories? If we're going to pass on the stories to the next generation, we have to first know them for ourselves. And some of us have sat in church for a long time, and we don't really know the stories. And some people will say to me, well, pastor, here's the thing. I'm just not good at learning those stories. I'm not good at reading this book, and I'm not good at learning those stories. Here's the deal. We know the stories that are important to us. We know the stories that are important to us. Some of us sitting in this room, 25 years from now, 30 years from now, we'll get the kids around us. Maybe there are kids, maybe there are nieces and nephews, maybe there are grandkids, and we will gather them around, and we will say, let me tell you the story of the 2018 Red Sox. They won more games than any other Red Sox team ever had won before. And in the third game, you're not going to believe this, they actually played two games in the World Series. It went 18 innings, and your, and your mom and I, we stayed up till 3.45 in the morning, and then the Dodgers won, but guess what happened the next day? The next night, the Red Sox were down, and it was 4 nothing. and then in the seventh, and the eighth, and the ninth inning, they came back, and they won, and then Sunday night, they won again, right? That's prophecy right there. But... <laughs> But we'll tell the story. Why? Not because we don't have to like, study it necessarily. We just, we, it's important to us. We know the story. Some of you, it's, sports isn't your thing. That's okay. But what's, whatever your thing is, music or business, you know the stories that are important to you. I don't have to tell you to go and learn those stories. You know them. And you'll say, let me tell you the story of our family. And you know the story of your family because it's important to you, where your family came from, what they did, who they were, who the cousins are, and who the second cousins are. Some of us are into that. We know those stories. I'm not saying those stories aren't important, that family stories aren't important, and, and athletic stories aren't important. They're fun to tell. All I'm saying is when a story is important to us, we know it and can tell it. And if this story is important to us, we ought to be able to know it and tell it. Doesn't mean we're the greatest Bible scholar in the world, but it at least means we're willing to learn the stories because of their importance. And so if we're going to tell the stories to the next generation, we have to know them, and then we actually have to tell them. We actually have to tell them. Some of us, some people would say, you know, that's why I bring my kid to church. That's why I bring my grandkid to church. That's why I bring my nephew to church, is so you can tell them the stories. Well, that's fine, and we absolutely will tell them the stories. But let's be honest. 45 minutes once a week, or 45 minutes once every third week, right? Some of you. Some of that, like 45 minutes once a week, right, is not enough to change the direction of your child's life. It's not. You've got to be getting it for somewhere else. My daughter is in first grade right now, and uh, it's the first year that she's had homework. 
So every single night, a book comes home that she's supposed to read to us, and we have to sign off that she's read it. And then throughout the week, she has a homework packet that she has to do. And it's the school and the teacher saying to us, we are going to teach your child to read and to write and to learn science and to learn math, but it has to be supplemented at home. If she's going to gain everything that she needs for her academic achievement, it has to be supplemented at home. You have to help us with this. And the same thing is true about passing on the faith from one generation to the next. That it is my responsibility in my own home through the symbols that are around in my house and the way that I speak and the stories that we tell to not just think that if I take my kid to church once a week that they'll learn everything they have to know about following God. I have to supplement that at home and model that at home so they see it there too. I have to tell the story. Even if I don't know all the details, Even if I just know that David threw a rock and it hit a giant, he fell over, and all I can say is I know God can take care of big problems, I still should be telling the story to my child. It's an important role. What can happen if we focus on being happy and healthy and spirituality is just some sort of puzzle piece in this this other goal of just whole, whole uh, well-rounded, happy, healthy kids, is we end up with, with children that succeed in every way and forget God. Some of those children are in this passage in the next couple of verses, verse 9. The Ephraimites, the psalmist writes, were armed with the bow. They had everything they needed. They were armed. They were ready to go. But they turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. The danger we run is if the goal is just happy and healthy and the goal is not put your hope in God, we run the danger of raising up a generation that is looking for their hope so in this world so much that they end up forgetting God all together. And if God is just a piece of the thing and not the whole of the thing, eventually he'll be left behind. And so we ought to know the stories and we ought to tell the stories so that the next generation will put their hope and their trust in God. This is not an individual work, by the way. This is a corporate work. This is for all of us. If this is home, if Mount Hope is your family, this is all of our work together. This is a public prayer. This is not a private devotional, Psalm 78. None of the Psalms are private devotionals. They were written to be public prayers. And so this prayer would have been read in the gathering of worship, and they would have been talking to the whole community about the burden of passing on the faith and passing on the stories so that we wouldn't be like the Ephraimites and all the other groups of Israelites that are told in this chapter who were, who were told about God but ended up forgetting him. This is a corporate work, and I'm so glad to be part of a community where so many of you are involved in kids' adventure and involved in helping to pass on the story to the next generation. Right now in this building, there are classes that are happening where the stories about God are being passed down. This isn't a live shot, by the way, just in case you're wondering. This is, but, but the stories of God are being passed down. And many times, it's not the child's parent that's doing it. It's those of you who are saying, I am a part of the corporate responsibility to pass on the faith to the next generation, and you are participating in that, and that is a wonderful thing. Thank you for doing that. 
We also have a corporate responsibility because anytime we dedicate a child in this church, if you've been around for a child dedication, there's a charge to you, the congregation. We charge the parents to point this child to God, but we charge you, the congregation, to help. And we have a responsibility together to do this. It's not unlike what happens uh, in my children's soccer team. Soccer is not my sport. It's not my thing. And, but my kids love to play it. And so I can go in the backyard and set up our, our little portable net. And we can kick the soccer ball around. But when I take them to practice, there are other moms and dads who played soccer in high school, played soccer in college, who are pouring into my kids the knowledge and the skill that they have that I don't know that I can necessarily give them. And that's a good thing. The same thing should be happening in the church, the same thing that happens in Little League, the same thing that happens in youth soccer, where Uh, parents and adults are passing on their knowledge to the next generation. That's what we're doing in church with our kids' ministry, passing the knowledge from one generation to another. And it's a good thing. So how do we know if we're doing this? How do we know if we're doing this? How do we know if we're, we're successful at this? We could wait 30 years and see what happens. But how do we know along the way? What markers could we look at? I think there's two things we should listen for. And the first one is this. I think we should listen to how we pray for the young people around us, whether that's your children or your grandchildren or the children of the church. We should think about how we pray for those children. What do our prayers sound like? God, would you, would you keep my child healthy? God, would you help my child sleep through the night? I pray that one. <laughs> God, would you help my child get into college? God, would you help me win the mega millions to pay for it? What are the prayers that you pray for your children? God, would you help my child to realize very early on that there is no hope in this world apart from you? God, would you help my child as they grow up and they're a teenager and they face so many voices in this world that would pull them in a different direction? God, with the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is as their Savior and Lord and the hope of the world, the reality that this world is temporary and the next world is eternal, would it guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus? Would they know you first and you alone, no matter what happens, whether they go to college or they don't go to college, whether they're, they're sweeping the floors or they're running the company, God, above everything else, would they trust you as their Savior and their Lord? How often do we pray that prayer? It's not that the other ones are are bad. Nothing wrong with praying that your child would be healthy. Nothing wrong with praying that your child would get a good education. Nothing wrong with that. But how often do we pray for the overarching goal, that they would submit their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? The danger is we could raise a whole generation of children in the church that go on to be vice presidents in their companies with impressive diplomas, and we will think we have done well because they are educated and they are mentally sound and they're physically sound and they're doing great things, but all the while, they're in peril eternally. So listen to how you pray. The second thing is we should listen to our children. We should ask our children, what do you think is important to mom and dad? And listen to what they say. We should ask our grandchildren, what do you think is important to grandma and grandpa? What do you think is important to uncle and auntie? What do you think is important to us? And listen to what they say. If they say, well, your job's important, you go there a lot. Or they say, your coffee's important, I don't like you until you have it. 
Whatever they say, we should listen to. And if it's not God, if God, the gospel is not included in that response, we ought to evaluate what we're talking about and the stories that we're telling. Because at the end of the day, if we don't know all the stories in the book, we have our story of what God has done in our lives and how he's changed us and how he's changed our family and how we're a new creation in Jesus Christ. We at least ought to be telling that story. And somewhere in the response, somewhere in the conversation, our kids should be saying back to us, I know God is super important in your life. So we listen to the way that we we pray. We listen to what our children say to us. And ultimately, what I think the psalmist is telling us to do is to parent the next generation, to raise up the next generation with the end in sight, to remember that this world is temporary, but there is an eternity waiting for us, that one day this this world will be gone, that academic achievement, business achievement, that athletic achievement, all of that stuff fades away, and there is an eternity waiting for us. We should go after all that. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's just less important than putting our hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And we ought to parent with the end in sight. As a church, we ought to be mindful of the reality that you could go to Gallup or you could go to Pew Research or you could go to Barna, you go anywhere you want, and the statistics are the same, that about 85% of us decide whether or not we're going to live for Jesus Christ by the time we're 18. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen after that, but most of us make that decision by the time we're 18. A vast majority make the decision before they're 14. And so we have this window here to pour into our children so that they remember. And then even if they get kind of crazy when they go off to college and they walk away, that peace doesn't leave them, that they know that there's a God who loves them and there's a Savior who died for them. So while they're out there trying to figure out things on their own, eventually that peace is there for them to rely on and to come back to. We have a small window to plant that deep in their hearts and deep in their souls. So when the voices are overwhelming and the culture is confusing, that still is sitting inside of them for them to come back to. I bet most of us this morning know a young person who needs to be touched by God. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back as we close this morning. And as we do, and we think about this, some of you, the interaction that you're having is with a young child right now. And maybe this morning as we close, you would come before God and you would lay that child at God's feet and you would say, God, would you help me to lead this child well? Would you help me to to parent this child well? Would you help me to, if it's a niece or a nephew or someone like that, just someone you know from the neighborhood that you have influence over, God, would you help me to influence this child for you? Some of us know teenagers, young adults, 20, 30 40 years old, that we feel like we did all of this. We feel like we did this all. Not sure what we could have done differently. And yet they've gone their own direction. I want you to know this morning that they are not outside the hand of God. And I truly believe that the good work that God started in them when they were 15, 14, 13, and they went to that camp and had a great experience or they, they wrote the paper in Sunday school that said how much they loved God and trusted Jesus, that that's still in them, that that good work that God has started, he will carry on to completion. I believe that. But today you'd want to take a moment 
to bring them before the Lord and intercede on their behalf and pray, God, would you wake them up? Would they be reminded that there is no hope apart from Jesus Christ? That there is no hope apart from you? I'd invite you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. And just ask you, Who here in the room has someone that they know they need to pray for this morning? A young child, a teenager, just raise your hand. Just you and the Lord. There's hands all over the room. There's someone that you know you have influence over. There's someone you know who is close to you, who's a child, who's a teenager, who's a young adult, who's walked away. And this morning is a morning you need to intercede on their behalf. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As we pray, as we play this last song, I'd invite you to come forward to this altar, to stand or to kneel and to take a couple of moments just to bring that person before the Lord. I don't think something magical happens because you get up and move, but there's an intentionality associated with it to come to the front and to come before the Lord and to lay that child at the Lord's feet and to trust him with that child and to pray that God would do the work that none of us can do on our own. So as we play this final song, just come. Come and we will pray with you. We'll put a hand on your shoulder and pray with you. And we'll ask God to do his work in the lives of these children and young people that are on our hearts and our minds today. God, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, thank you for the love that you have for each person that you've created. Every child on the face of this earth, every person is made in your image and they are yours. God, we pray that you would empower us to tell the stories of who you are and what you've done, what you've done in our, old, our own lives and what you've done over the generations so that those who are behind us will learn to follow and to trust you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at MT Hope Belmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.